Welcome to Rose Library Presents Behind the Archives. I'm your host, Lily Rowe, the Community Outreach Archivist at Emory University Libraries, Stuart A. Rose, Manuscript, Archives, and Rare Book Library in Atlanta, Georgia. In this first season of Behind the Archives, we explore from many perspectives the question, what is an archive? Journey with me to learn from the insights of our guests and explore what we do at Rose Library. In this episode, the tables are turned as I am the interviewee and my co-producer, Nick Twimlow, literary and poetry collections visiting librarian, interviews me about my job as community outreach archivist at Rose Library. Hi, everybody. This is Nick Twumlow, Literary and Poetry Collections Visiting Librarian at the Rose Library. I'm also co-producer on this series. With our guest today, as we turn the tables, Lolita Rowe, who needs no real introduction. But anyway, hi, Lolita. Hi, Nick. It's so weird to be on this side of the mic. (laughs) I can imagine. We have, this is the final episode. This is number eight in our first season of Behind the Archives. Uh, in addition to Community Conversations, which you also host and we co-produce together, and then Randy Gu's Atlanta Intersections. Uh, it's been a big year. I think we launched in October yeah. of 2020. You had proposed this all before, this whole podcast set up before the pandemic, and then the pandemic hit. And so we had to figure out how to do launch three <laughs> podcast series uh, from home. Yeah, that's that's a good way to go, like, with this um, pandemic that we're in to think about. Like, it on the plus side, it gave us an opportunity to really think about this, right, this opportunity that we have because we were just at that point trying to figure out how do we get the guests that we could get, like, into the actual physical spaces. And it gave us more of an opportunity um lets us expand across the country and you know across the globe really so that's one good thing about the uh the pepperoni that we're in (laughs) yes i agree and i like that pepperoni yeah Um, it did really expand things because you know we had our first um guest who was two parts first two episodes of community conversations so um not this series but it was nikki giovanni yes and our colleague gabrielle interviewed Ms. Giovanni, and that was on campus. She had just come in for a big, big reading. And then I'm pretty sure, like, within two or three weeks, pandemic shutdown happened. Yeah, we or were. At least, yeah. Yeah, because um, Nikki Giovanni was um, was first, in our, our very first podcast interview. And then about a week later, we had the first interview for this show with Rosemary and... Um, and Megan, who were our first guests for Behind the Archives. And it was like about a week of like um, of that. And like you're saying, like not even like two or three weeks later, uh, everything shut down. And we had these amazing interviews and we were like, what what happens now? How do we get the show up and running? Because the, the Nikki Giovanni one was amazing as our... Um, 
colleague was interviewing her and I was in, in the producer seat and I had to like be silent at some of the things that she was saying when I really just wanted to like snap my fingers. Like, I mean, you know, it was just amazing to be in the room in that space as one of my favorite musicals. I was in the room when it happened and it was amazing, but you know, I'm I'm a little biased, right? Because I've even the few that, especially in community community conversations where I'm not the interviewer, and I'm listening to them afterwards. Like you've done a few too. I mean, it's amazing the talent that we've gotten to come on the show. I 100% agree, and I feel like, you know, we'll, I want to get into what it is you do, um, but this is part of what you do. A big part of it is is having created this podcast series and and hosting it and producing it. So to me, one of the great things, as you've already said, that came out of this was we could expand our guest base. And I mean, because we have an online um, service we can use to do these face-to-face recordings, as we're using it right now. So you're in Tucker, I'm in Decatur, Georgia, and we're face-to-face talking. And we learned as we went along, I think, um, but it did allow you know, even people who would have been in perhaps the same two blocks from each other, but in the middle of the pandemic, nobody was spending time with anybody else live. And uh, so mm-hmm. I do believe that, they, that the ability to expand our geographic range of guests has been pretty amazing. So the nature of this series is to talk about, you know, how archives work. What are What is an archive, I believe, is in our actual copy about the show. Yeah. And so I thought... Um, We'll we'll stick to the script here a little bit, the script that you've developed to talk to our colleagues at The Rose over the course of uh, seven episodes. So in this final episode, we're going to ask you these questions and find out um, what is a community outreach archivist. And I want to ask, actually, do all special collections have a community outreach archivist? No, um, this job was actually something that was created um, after a need arose. So where I worked at before, I was doing a little bit of this. Uh, It wasn't a professional position. It was a paraprofessional. And that was at UNC Charlotte? Yeah, UNC Charlotte and their special collections. And um, this job is unique because it allows my focus to be on outreach Um, And that sometimes is not like there may be an outreach librarian or there may be someone who's a reference librarian who does reference work and outreach. But to have it as a community outreach archivist where it's um, community, right, is a relative term. Our community is um, could be faculty, staff, students. Uh, It's the um, local area, the metro area. It's wherever Emory's name maybe is heard of, or maybe there's connections that Emory has to other people. So community is the part that's that's different, and I love that. Um, when I saw this job, um, it was like it was created for me. So um, this job was after years of having graduate students who were partially employed here at Emory, who who basically did work. They did maybe connections with exhibits or in different parts of the job. And my boss, um, at least until the end of this week, was uh, the person who said, we need a position dedicated to this. And so when this job popped up, it was like, this is what I've been waiting for in my life, I because it, it, it didn't exist. And I was so glad and thankful that 
for the people who came before me who did like parts of it? And then how often do you get to create a job? Right? Like how often do you get to be the person that um formulates a new job and a new experience? Um when I came, you know, you interview interview for it, but when I came here it was even more expanded. Um and this was just one of the tools, this podcast of like how do we reach people? But to also work with K through twelve, um I just recently had a a session with the local middle school here and uh the teacher her question was, well, when you're looking at your textbooks, the textbooks uh, don't really tell you the whole story. How do you get the whole story? And I was like, well, you do just what you're doing right now. You reach out to an archive because archives have the rest of the story. And I love that archives in the last few years have been reaching out um, to connect with K-12 educators because that's the missing piece. I wish I had known like this area of existed like I didn't know archives existed until I started working at Charlotte and then I met Meredith um, Evans and Christopher Geisler and they really just opened my eyes to what archives could be and it was really even open more when I got accepted to the archives institute here in Georgia the Georgia archives institute is a really great program and a really great tool that kind of combine archives and uh, archives theory and practice and so these things help to shape, and of course, my love for history, uh, um, help to shape the career that I have now. You talked a little bit about how you sort of discovered archives, mm-hmm. and I have a very similar sense of growing up not knowing what archives were. Um, can you tell us how you, the sort of path you took in terms of your career that specifically got you into archives uh, maybe library and then archives, or were they exactly the same time? Like you were thinking, I'm going into library archives, or am I going to be a librarian? And then you found the archive part of that. <laughs> like the Beatles said, it was a long and winding road, Nick. Um, so I mm-hmm. did not want to do the things that I'm doing right now. Um, I wanted to help people. I knew that much, um, and I thought I would help people through um, a medical uh, profession, but I just never connected with anything. I was a biology major at Winthrop University in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and I did that for four years. So I have a BS in biology degree uh, that I don't necessarily use, but it really helped me in my in my uh, logical senses, I guess. But when um, I worked at um, Winthrop as an undergrad student at... Um, Dacus Library. Woohoo! I worked there for four years. Um, it was it was great working in the library. I, I worked in the circulation department for all those four years as a work study student. And I've always said like that's how recruitment is in libraries. And now I've discovered in archives too, is like we recruit from within like students who work there. And I just didn't I knew about circulation and there was an archives department, but I really never connected with them. I didn't know they existed till much later. So working, I needed to find a job um, after I graduated. And a friend of mine uh, said, hey, the public library in Charlotte is hiring. So I went again in circulation. So I went from an academic library to a public one. And I think that's where I really like um, cut my teeth in outreach. 
public libraries uh, have a vast number of different people that come in. Uh, you have people who like want a product and you have a product and that product could either be um, readers advisory. It could be programming. You have all these great resources and connections. Why not find ways to connect the two? And so I did some public programming. One of my favorite ones was a um, a person who was a patron who did a wedding planning service. And so I like baked the cake and, and had a friend decorate it just a little bit. And like we talked about um, wedding planning and we had some books and I had like, because I don't know, I'm just all fancy. I got a ginger ale and two flute glasses. And so it looked like it was, you know, <laughs> the cutting of the cake. Because you got to have some pizzazz. And so um, it was nice because we had people coming. One of my best events was an open house. At this time, uh, several years ago, Charlotte was just getting people um, coming into living downtown. And so we wanted to have like a Friends of the Library group because people were living there. And, and Charlotte is mostly like young professionals uh, downtown. I said, why not have a party? Why not have an event? And it was a great event. We had people waiting to come in. Like we had about 200 plus people show up. And I was re really energized. But then I got an opportunity to work at UNC Charlotte. And UNC Charlotte was completely different than what I had been doing in um, both my undergrad and then when I graduated. Where I had been working in circulation, checking in books, um, getting um, locating them. I then became somebody who worked in the academic library on the back end in technical services. So I was still checking in things, but they were more like um, serials, which are like magazines, periodicals, things like that. Like peop anything from like People magazine uh, to the Journal of whatever, science, blah, 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 you know, something like that. And so when we were checking those things in and finding that, there was some semblance to it, but it was just behind the scenes, right? No one actually interacted with me. And I just kind of like, it was nice. It was a great experience, but I missed working with the public and missed working with people. But I got a chance to work in special collections. And what was really great about it was... I, I felt like I was home. It combined the things that I loved. I should have been a history major, probably in college, um, but I chose biology. And I realized, oh, this is how I can help people. If I'm in this, I can give them information. And it really just touched my heart how when someone connects with history and they realize or they have that experience that what's happening to them is not anything new. Um, that goes for um, LGBTQ kids who have looked at letters and said, oh, what I'm experiencing is nothing uh, that someone else hasn't experienced before. You know, it, it gives you a, a sense that um, the wheel is not being reinvented. And I, I like that experience. So that actually leads us to the next question about what, why are archives important? And I wonder if you could talk about that in maybe with a couple of examples of some of the um, outreach work that you've done since you arrived at the Rose. Yeah, so this is great because it's been I've been here three years, which is amazing. Um, the three years have gone by so fast, and the Rose has some amazing collections, and it's it's an honor to be able to. Uh, work at an institution, and and I will say UNC Charlotte was like this too, but it's it's really great to work at an institution where you get to 
showcase what you have through programming, through K through 12 educational ex- opportunities to be able to say, we want to um, basically be a tool to help others learn. And we're partnering with people to do that. So like we just had a, a really cool experience with, um, with, with the middle school. And uh, I had to talk to the kids using uh, the 13th, 14th and 15th amendment to talk to them about how um, those amendments are still shaping um, what we do today through immigration, through marriage laws, through um, biases that were um, taken down from it. Like, you know, Brown versus Board of Education uh, was a, a Supreme Court case that because of the 13th Amendment was able to um, be passed. But like, connecting history where it's not just like in your textbook you might know that there's amendments but how did they work so that's been a that was a really cool experience to talk to about 120 middle school kids and kind of see their eyes like expand and like like even like learning um through this um not only like in teaching them but it was a year-long project about reconstruction that I was a, a in partnership with people here at the Rose and the Woodruff Library um, but asking the kids to tell me when did Mississippi ratify the 13th Amendment and seeing the shock on their faces, and it was the same shock as mine, that that answer is 2013. And, like, every time I'm here, not only researching uh, what to teach to K-12 through or to um, show for uh, programming, um, it's been amazing because... For every one thing I thought I knew, I've learned three different things. So, like, one of the, um, so it's always, like, it's hard to narrow down, like, what's not cool, right? Like, the drag show that we had was amazing. That was only my second drag show I've ever been to. Uh, Being able to be a part of the first Queer um, History South conference and um, presenting on the um, ways that Emory, as well as other archives, are working on um, the language that is used, right? Because sometimes um, uh, there is offensive language. A lot of the times there's offensive language. And it's not at a lot of times offensive because, like, we want to put, like, um, derogatory statements. But it's because that's how it was shown. And so we're trying to figure out how do we showcase and highlight what we have uh, without making it, like, a, like a traumatic. Right. A lot of times people have traumatic experiences just exposed and that's not what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is just kind of like show people to highlight what we have in the archives so they can know that their voice um, is in the narrative. Because, again, I like to quote this always from from uh, Lin-Manuel's, like, you know, Hamilton, you know, who tells your story? If your story is not present, who is telling your story? And so as an archivist, you can find lots of different materials, artifacts, papers, documents that can tell stories that aren't, either aren't being told or are undertold, right, and bring these to the students. Um, and that's really interesting to me is the way that archivists can shape um, those narratives by selection, by the types of things that you choose to bring out, especially when you're, you know, you're such... Uh, you're such a face of the rose to so many different people, institutions, and communities who otherwise 
may never get into an archive. And I wonder if kind of thinking back to what you said about not even really knowing what an archive was, same here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but these eighth graders, and I remember, I know you were working on this project, and if I'm not mistaken, over two days, did you do live presentations? Yeah, seven. I ended up doing seven. Uh, okay. Seven live, like, uh, between uh, 30 to 45-minute presentations. Okay, so I remember talking to you about that in the lead-up to it, and you initially had said, maybe I can just do one and record it, but you ended up going live i'm sure it was a a great experience each time out it was probably tiring yes to yes. both of those yeah okay. yeah <laughs> but i think it's important to note that, that that's part of a big part of what you do and what is so unique about this position is that you're going out and you're connecting with these audiences in this case what are we talking about 13 14 year olds yeah and they're getting a chance to suddenly be aware of an archive experience and what I mean certainly it's not a totalizing experience but it's like the introduction that neither of us had in eighth grade certainly yeah nor in in high school or in college (laughs) right and you get to come in and now you have piqued their interest right now some of them may have forgotten about it as soon as that bell rang (laughs) but there may be one or two or five who are going to keep thinking about it. And I feel like this is one of the really interesting things about the Rose Library, and I'm sure other special collections around the country, is that same thing that happens with undergrads who come in and they're like, what is this? Yeah. And what is that fancy floor up there in the Woodruff Library? Because we're up in the tower. And then they get up there and then they meet you and they meet Gabrielle Dudley, our instruction archivist, and Jackie and your team. And they're like, oh, wow. So that's there's a whole instructional element of this, too, that um, is another podcast you can listen to. Mm-hmm. We've already recorded. But I'm interested in, as a segue to this question of how you would, what advice you might have to some eighth grader who says, wait, I want to be an archivist. Or you meet a freshman in uh, a freshman composition course that some professor at Emory has taught, and they went in to the rose, saw some materials, and now they're like, wait a sec, this is super cool. What do I do? So um, this is what I talk about, whether I'm talking, like you said, to eighth graders, fifth graders, um, high school freshmen or college freshmen, um, or even uh, people who have never set foot in, like people out in the community. I tell them how I got into this position. I tell them that um, when I was asked to like possibly work into or to be a part of a archives, I said no because it's cold, you know. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, it's freezing. Like where I used to work at, like they used to have at one point sweaters for people, and I was like, I don't think that's the life I want to live. And um, but now I just have my sweater. <laughs> but um, I tell them that um, I'm telling you, Hamilton has shaped my life for the last few years. But it's like it's that narrative, and I I approach it this way. Um, Lynn Manuel did a article or an interview, and he talked about how um, I think it was probably in the Heights that he had just finished and he needed a rest because you know can't wait for, for that show to come out but he needed a rest and so he gets this book um by this author who writes about hamilton and he starts thinking about it more and more and so the author who wrote that book used probably archival um, material to do that to get delve into it and so as lin-manuel is uh, trying to write the musical 
Um, he comes to the point where in one of the numbers, you know, he's like, okay, how does Eliza feel about the um, Reynolds pamphlet? Well, we don't know, right? There's nothing in the archival record, and, and there is um, there's a lot of material that Eliza herself gathered up, you know, budding archivists, yay. Uh, but she has a lot of material, uh, primary sources that she gathered, but we don't have a lot of her writings or her diary or something that she writes maybe to Angelica that says, I can't believe Hamilton did this to us. We don't have that. So what Lin-Manuel does is he represents that in the song Burn, right? And she says, I'm erasing myself from the narrative. Well, a lot of times women are um, erased from the narrative. People who are underrepresented, you know, uh, are like, you know, people who look like me and um, look like my friends. They're just like not in the narrative. And so for a lot, a lot of history, we have one note. And so I approached this as using that as a way to frame it. Like you need to be able to tell your own story. You need to be able to see yourself in the history and the story. Because if not, somebody else is going to tell you that, oh, we don't do this because of A. When we've clearly been doing this for time and time again. Like I was taught as a kid about the civil rights movement. But what I wasn't taught as a kid is that civil rights have been something that people have been fighting for for many, many decades and centuries. It was just something that, you know, history was taught to me. Like, once the Civil Rights Movement was over, that was it. But when you look in the archive, like, we have the SCLC papers, um, you can clearly see that civil rights, um, environmental rights, all of that is still going on to this day. And that's how I, I, I talk to them about it. It's like history is not something that is historical history is still happening to this day you could be involved in it you don't have to be someone that is like uh famous to also even be in that narrative like your story matters your story is going to help somebody 50 years from now your story is going to help somebody 10 years from now that's really interesting the way you put it at the end there um because i think you know when i do develop collection development i and talking to my colleagues in that department about how do we know what's going to be valuable to researchers, you know, five years from now, 10 or 15? Um, I'm not sure you do know necessarily, but, you know, one of the things I've been learning is to not overlook anything. Mm-hmm. That Don't be attracted to the ring, you know, like uh One ring the rules them all, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't be obsessed with that because uh, th- while that may have some value, uh, there were a lot of folks uh, who created things that didn't have certain circumstances fall into place for them who have made wonderful materials and are representing another experience, right, that we have to keep our eyes on. So it's um, the same way if you're coming at it from someone who's going to help build the archive and help create the narratives and help shape that um, experience for all the students that you meet and reach. Um so is there, I have a couple of other questions that are off script, but I want to ask the last one that basically has been a thread throughout this season, which is, is there a common misperception about your job? For example, is it really that cold? <laughs> <laughs> I will leave each archivist and each institution to answer that question. Um, luckily, it's not as cold in the Rose Reading Room. Um, we ask that you, we suggest that you bring a jacket just in case. You just either have to wear it or not put it on the on the seat. Um, but it's not as cold as 
as it used to be where I used to work at. Um, the other thing is I think people oftentimes think that um, they can't access the archives if they're not there for a project. Like, uh, but you can access the archives. You can come in, well, um, you know, <laughs> before times <laughs> and hopefully after the times of, of COVID, but uh, you could come in, uh, schedule an appointment and maybe you've heard that we have a really cool punk rock collection and you want to see some of the flyers or photos and you can make an appointment um, through the Rose Library email and we will have those materials out for you to look at and to be a part of. Like, you know, it's kind of cool when somebody can point out like, this is me to their family. That's always really nice. But that's the, the misconception I think I see a lot of is who can access the um, the collections. And it's accessible to um, anyone, you know, before times. And hopefully we'll get back to that as well. Just through the COVID restrictions that we have, uh, we've restricted it or limited the access. But we all would love it more like if, when, once it's safe for both our staff and for our patrons that anyone can come in and look at these collections. Or, you know, we can do what I did with a um, K through five, fifth grade class, um, which was a really cool, fun event. It's just like, you know, use um, the magic of, of the digital world and like, you know, have, have the item displayed and so that we can look at it that way. So you're saying, I just want to clarify this for the audience in a, in a, in a post COVID world, when we're back to, you know, full engagement, full on-site, that anybody, you don't have to be an Emory student or faculty or staff, anybody anywhere in the world can engage with our collections. And it might be, like you said, because they saw some things we had and just wanted to browse, you might have uh, the inkling that there are some family records that might be in our collection. Yeah, or maybe you want to come and look at Hank Aaron's um, scouting sheets where the person who was scouting uh, him were like, oh, he's a terrible hitter. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, one for the record book. That's always one that's just like, ah, oh, so you can see that, you know, uh, when someone counts you out, don't count yourself out. So, yeah. Well, I wanted to... Um... I wanted to ask you one question about sort of your own, if you were building an archive question. Um, and then I also wanted to kind of loop back around and have a, a tiny bit more discussion about the podcast itself. But mm -hmm. I wanted to first say, uh, you know, if you, if you were building a collection and maybe you know, we all wish we had unlimited budgets, but <laughs> let's say budget wasn't an issue for you, but um, is there a sort of a sense historically or as, as you've worked in this field long enough um, still something that isn't being represented or something you want to see more of? There are a lot of instances where, like as I was uh, talking to the middle school students last week about um, riots, like the Tulsa race riots. And, you know, I didn't find out about the Atlanta race riots until I moved to Atlanta. Um, but the idea of riots, right? Like what is a riot... Who's the um, person instigating it and what happens? And it's not just a black and white issue. There were riots against many ethnicities. And I'd like to know more about that. I'd also like to know about like to know more about like indigenous people's history as well. 
But I also want to not just talk about the trauma that people of color experience. I want to talk about the ways, the perseverance. Like, I want to find ways to show um, that, yeah, people will use that, like, black girl magic. But all magic is is just, you know, giving 110% of your effort and, like, going. So I know that there are magical moments, quote-unquote, but, like, showing how people um, have risen above would be something interesting, too. I've learned from our um, exhibitions that we've done, She Gathers Me, right? That's a, mm-hmm. that, that feels yeah. to me like um, a, a way of shaping and showing those kinds of narratives, too, which I know um, you worked with. And uh, can we learn more about that online? Um, we're slowly getting it online, but okay. right now it's something that Gabrielle created and I wanted something like uh, when we do, when people do exhibitions and it's amazing, but you know, everyone can't come to Emory to, uh, to show or, or to see those exhibitions. And I was trying to find a way that we could take an exhibition that had been created and make it mobile. Right. So that we don't, um, just have all this greatness here. Like we can just like expand it. And eventually, you know, it would be nice to have a program where it went not just in the local, local area of Georgia, because we partnered with Georgia public library system. And, you know, it was like, what can we do? So a lot of public libraries have the, um, the books of the authors in that she gathers me, which is about showing how African-American female writers are not a monolith. There's a lot of of uh, support, but there's also a lot of um, ideas of like not everyone thinks the same. Like you have Alice Walker, you have um, you know Nikki Giovanni, Audre Lorde. You have all of these different women who have their own different experiences. Yes, they're African American female writers, and they support each other, but they may not always agree, and that's okay. You know, African Americans are all from. Africa, which is a continent, which some people still think Africa is a country, but they, you know, it's like, it's diversity in the voices. You know, there are some similarities and there are some differences. And that's what that, um, that's what Gabrielle was trying to show. And what I want to do is show how we can like expand that. So we have a reading list and all, of course, all of that was paused during um, COVID, but the idea is to kind of like highlight different voices and to show people that people are individuals as well. That's fantastic. Um, and you can check back to the Rosla Library website to see more down the Yeah. Road. Hopefully soon we'll have an online exhibit of that, but that is uh, coming soon. <laughs> um, speaking of coming soon, let's talk about next season. Um, I want to say, too, that um, it's been a real privilege to work on these three shows with you and with Randy and to, you know, basically invent with the two of you how to do podcasts, um, <laughs> you brought some really good information and research and experience to the process. So we weren't starting from zero, but, um, here we are, we finished three series and I want to, um, we've all been talking in meetings about how do we go about season two. And I just wondered if you could tease a little bit, um, some of the, kind of ideas maybe not necessarily some of the specific content we want to keep that under wraps but we are pretty excited about all of that but uh especially when it comes to this particular series behind the archives because we're going to have a, a different kind of 
uh, we're gonna have a different <laughs> setup, right? Yeah, and it's it's been an honor too, Nick. Like when I when we like when you came on, it was like okay, I know what I want to do, but I don't know how to do it. <laughs> like I know mm-hmm. that I want to be able to reach out to people who maybe have never set foot in the archive, or maybe they have experienced it, and but they haven't come to the rows and giving them a behind the scenes. So this is like a nice way of like giving them even more behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we when I first started i should tell everybody that it was going to be one podcast and it was like well i have this idea like i want to have stories from the collections like letting people know of maybe collections that they haven't heard of and connecting people but i also want to tell people what we what we're going to do but you know we have a limited series kind of of episode so what do we do and what did you say let's do two separate ones. I was like, that's what I've been thinking. That's what I was thinking. Oh, wait a minute. If we do two podcasts, how's that going to look? So, uh, so with community conversations, I'll say too, that, um, uh, I thought I was being very slick and I was like, you know, I don't know if I like the sound of my voice just yet. So, Hey, Gabrielle, you know, everything about Nikki Giovanni and I know you're good at what you do. Would you mind? But I couldn't quite do that for the first episode of behind the archives. And mm-hmm. then I just, it just kind of took off and I was like, okay, I can do this. I sound, I sound okay. <laughs> I sound okay. Yep. And, um, I, you know, I got, we got what I wanted to accomplish, which was to tell the stories in community conversations, which is just like a casual conversation. I think people learn more when you're just like going back and forth, having a a casual conversation. And Behind the Archives was the same way, except for we were getting uh, people familiar with archives. And so now that we've hopefully gotten our our audience um, familiar with what we do in archives, now let's show them um, how we do it, right? Like what happens um, now that you know what I do, uh, what an instructional archivist does, what an accessioning archivist does. Now, what do we do with the with the materials that we have? How do they, um, like once we got them and we have them in our possession, what do we do with them? I think that's a good enough tease. Right? I do too. It's, right? Yeah. That's good enough. We don't we don't want to give you too much stuff. We want you to come back for season two and That's find right. out, right? Yeah, and we I I think it's okay to to um say also that there'll be some some interest there'll be a lot of different voices. And I think that uh um that part of it, the storytelling components are are gonna I'm really excited about that. I'm yeah. overwhelmed by it too. I know we have a big <laughs> a big summer of planning ahead of us, but Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I, I remember back to um, thinking about splitting into two, and then of course Randy wanted to to resurrect another, Atlanta yeah. intersections, and, then and it was like we had three, and we were like, okay, we want to do this in October for Archives Month. Um, well, I mean, think about it this way: had uh, any of us known the <laughs> procedures, we may not have even done one. But oh I'm glad gosh. to have yeah. been a healthy naivete because it is done. So. When we did it, we did this mm-hmm. during a global pandemic. We did three shows, um, and while we were also doing our our regular jobs, which are not regular in any sense of that word, doing programming, mm-hmm. you know, day by day, and surviving. And it, it's been mm-hmm. a great pleasure doing this um, because you know I've had like my family members uh, who um, I don't know exactly what I think my family kind of. 
knows what I, I do. Um, Mama, you're going to have to tell me differently or not. But um, <laughs> but I, I think they they know I work in a setting with history. And I when I tell them about our collections, like that's who I'm talking to. Like I think about that when I'm trying to figure out like how do I talk to an audience, I'm talking to my family members. Because uh, my uncle, uh, Dale, you know, I'd be like, oh, Dale, guess what? We have this. And um, he'd be like, oh, like, you know, take a picture of it for me. And I love one day for him to uh, be able to come down here uh, in mm-hmm. Georgia and be able to, like, you know, show him that. Like, I've I've uh, toured my mom and my dad. But, yeah, I, I talk to my to my family because the, I want, like, as, as a good Southerner, um, I love a good tale, like I just like a good um, story, right? So when you're talking about um, what we have in the archives, it's factual stories, but it's stories that people have not um, experienced or heard of before. And even like even working here, like every every day, it feels like I hear a new story. And it's just it's great to be able to to preserve these stories, these um, connections and and interactions with people Um, like we had for community conversations, got to speak to the uh, widow of um, of our former colleague who passed away um, in 2020, you know, to be able to talk to um, Navab McDaniels and to like listen to stories of um, Pelham. That's something that his kids can listen to one day. That's something that maybe somebody who is like him, somebody who's an artist, somebody who's a sports person can listen to one day and say, oh, I don't really have to pick and choose. I can be both. I don't have to worry about just going through sports. I can also have, you know, another interest in my life. I like how you put that. Mm -hmm. And I guess we'll call it a day and we'll call it the end of season one. Season um, one, woo, yay! Yes. Well done. <laughs> and any any final last word you want to put in? Ah, oh, just um, thank you everyone for um coming along on this journey with us, and I look forward to what we're going to accomplish next season. And I hope that you will be a part of season two and the other seasons that we have in the future. All right. Thank you, Lolita Rowe, Community Outreach Archivist for the Rose Library at Emory University. See you later. Bye-bye. <laughs> Behind the Archives is produced by Lolita Rowe and Nick Twimlow. Jacob Chisenhall is our editor. Music created by Sister Sai. We are grateful for the support provided by our colleagues at Rose Library, Jennifer King, Director of Rose Library, and Yolanda Cooper, Dean of Emory Libraries. Special thanks to our guests who helped to create an amazing inaugural season. To Caroline Corbett, our graphic designer who created our spectacular logos for all three Rose Library podcast series. And to our listeners, thank you for your ongoing support and we look forward to connecting with you in season two when we dig deeper into the stories behind the archives. For more information about Rose Library and our other podcast series, Community Conversations and Atlanta Intersections, please visit us online at rose.library.emory.edu and follow us on Rose Library's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
You can find Behind the Archives and our other podcasts on all your favorite podcast feeds. <laughs>